In this episode, I visit with Greg Keating, and we discuss the current whistleblower scene in terms of regulations, case law, the Biden administration, and where Greg sees whistleblower bounties going. This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And you're in for a real treat today because I have with me Greg Keating. Greg is one of the top uh, lawyers practicing in, if I could say, whistleblower defense, but generally in labor and employment matters uh, in the country. I've known Greg for some time, and I'm thrilled to have him on the podcast. So, Greg, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Tom, it is my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Greg, you recently changed firms, and I was wondering if we could start off by you telling us about a little bit about your new firm and your new gig. Yeah, I'm really excited, Tom. Uh, I uh, I decided in January to join uh, Epstein Becker Green, which is a national boutique. It's actually a dual boutique. Uh, EBG is um, focused on healthcare and employment. Uh, and if there are you know two uh, areas uh, to be in in the uh, midst of and hopefully coming out of a pandemic, uh, I think uh, EBG is uniquely poised to uh, to help employers around the country in healthcare and employment. I have uh, been tasked with starting the uh, Boston office of the employment side of the coin, and we're we're growing rapidly, and there's a lot of energy, and I'm really excited about uh, the opportunity. It's a firm that's really on the rise right now. Uh, Greg, you've been talking about whistleblowers, whistleblower awards, and whistleblower defenses probably as long as anyone I know. But over the past uh, now five months, as we're recording this in, in mid-May, I think there's been as much conversation around whistleblowers and regulatory changes around whistleblowers as I've seen. And I'd like to start with January 1, 2021, the passage of the National Authorization Defense Act, uh, which included the Anti-Money Laundering Act of 2020, and specifically the whistleblower provision in there. Why was that such a significant change? Uh, for a few reasons, Tom. Um, I mean, first of all, uh, it, it's, it's engendered some controversy uh, because uh, modeled on Dodd-Frank, the Anti-Money Laundering Act uh, allows for individuals who identify uh, fraud, uh, which leads to a settlement of over a million dollars, to uh, collect uh, what, is, what is commonly now referred to as a bounty. Uh, it, it's, what I mean by that is uh, the, the whistleblower not only is protected from retaliation, but if the award is over a million dollars, they can cash in on uh, an amount up to 30% of, of, of the recovered uh, settlement. So it creates a, a massive incentive uh, for, for whistleblowers uh, to collect uh, very sizable awards. And, and the controversial part of it, as I alluded to earlier, is uh, it, it, it allows even for compliance professionals and attorneys, in-house attorneys, uh, to potentially... Uh, seek and collect those awards, and 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 that's that's not consistent uh, necessarily with Dodd Frank, which which sets out some some very strict and very stringent parameters around the ability for attorneys to ever even collect a bounty. For obvious reasons, Tom, it, it raises ethical issues around the attorney-client privilege. 
and, and, and in some states like New York, for example, there's a per se bar against attorneys going and you know, collecting bounty awards. So it, it engendered some controversy. Uh, I'll note also, Tom, just as a sort of a timely uh, development, there was a, there was a Wall Street Journal article yesterday uh, about the Anti-Money Laundering Act, and many of the plaintiff's lawyers are uh, at present um, not very happy about how it's been rolled out for, for three reasons. Uh, number one, there's no deadline right now for the implementation of any regulatory framework, so it's sort of it's sort of swinging in the wind right now. Uh, relatedly, number two, there's there's no designation of which agency, which federal agency, will actually implement this act. So that creates further uncertainty, and and perhaps most significantly for the plaintiffs bar, number three, there's no floor on the amount of an award that a whistleblower can collect. So what I mean by that is. You know, under Dodd Frank, uh, whistleblowers are guaranteed to get 10 to 30 percent. And under the Anti Money Laundering Act, the only thing it says is they can collect up to 30 percent. So there's no floor. And the plaintiff's bar is sort of saying, you know, this is, this could be a waste of our time because these cases, these cases take a, take a very long time to, to litigate. And if they end up with just a small, you know, 3 percent award, that's not going to be worth it to them. So it's, uh, it's also significant because it's it's yet another example of new federal legislation that is protecting and incentivizing whistleblowers. In January, Congress also passed the Anti-Trust Anti-Retaliation Act, which provides a remedy for any individual who spots and identifies in good faith an antitrust issue and then is retaliated against. There's a continued wave at the federal and state level of new legislation to protect whistleblowers, and this is only fueling the fires of the activity growing in this area. Greg, I'm a recovering trial lawyer on the civil side of things, and I defended corporations and contract disputes, personal injury cases, and things like that. And uh, would I be cynical in saying that uh, if the plaintiff's bar can't make money, they're not going to file lawsuits? I, I don't. I don't think you're, you're cynical in saying that. I. I. I, I would. I would embrace. The sort of you know corollary, which is there is so much more money uh, that is flowing out of this whistleblower spigot right now that the plaintiff's bar is absolutely and unequivocally flocking uh, to this area. Uh, you're seeing firms that have historically been fo focused on you know asbestos and toxic tort cases who are now moving their engines uh, in, in in this direction because they're seeing that there are you know, awards, not just in the millions, but in the tens of millions of dollars. So um, it's, it's, it's incentivizing um, the plaintiff's bar to move in this direction, and they are galvanizing in a big way. Greg, in addition to the uh, anti-money laundering law of 2020, we obviously had a change in administration. And what other regulatory changes are you seeing from the new Biden administration around whistleblowers? A couple of things. Um, first of all, um, there's simply no question that we are in for uh, a, 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 a four years of stepped up enforcement. Um, the Biden administration has publicly indicated in an executive order in January, which was sent to the new Secretary of Labor, uh, or then to be, but now confirmed uh, Secretary of Labor, Marty Walsh, who was the 
former mayor of my fair city, Boston, um, an executive order which, which really made clear that uh, the Biden administration expects and supports that the Department of Labor will step up with rigor uh, and, and enforcement against uh, any kind of retaliation against whistleblowers. Um, you, you also see uh, continued unbelievable success and um, concrete developments, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little later in the podcast, coming out of the SEC, uh, which administers the uh, whistleblower uh, directorate of the Dodd-Frank program. Um, and just overall, um, I expect to see increased funding for agencies that during the Trump administration were essentially stripped of their um, resources and and were um, you know had 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 very limited budgets. Uh, you know, I served for two terms during the Obama Biden administration on the uh, newly created Whistleblower Protection Advisory Committee. Uh, I was appointed by the Secretary of Labor to two terms on that committee. And that was an example of how there was really kind of stepped up um, enforcement and stepped up uh, resources uh, for uh, the Department of Labor. Uh, and I would not be surprised, I, I not only wouldn't be surprised, I predict uh, that the Biden administration is going to carve out increased funding, is going to expect stepped up enforcement. And when you combine that with, as I said, the, the legislative um, uh, developments, uh, creation of new rights and remedies, um, uh, this is an area that is going to blossom and is going to be very fertile over the next four years, in my opinion. One of the things that uh, I've heard you consistently talk about over the years is that uh, companies need to be proactive around whistleblowers. And you have counseled companies to put whistleblower programs in place, but more importantly, uh, to uh, have a whistleblower uh, or have a reporting system that allows the information that comes in to be triaged, evaluated, investigated, if necessary. What what are you counseling your, your clients on now? Is it more of that, or is it something different? No, um, I mean I've always said, Tom. You probably heard me say this uh, a dozen times. Um, you know, even in 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 relatively you know calm. Um, periods like the four years we were in with the Trump administration when other than the SEC uh, doing its thing, which again, we can talk about, things were a little quieter. I've always said that the best offense is a strong defense. And, and, and so what I mean by that is um, in any environment, um, it, it, it's my opinion, counseling and litigating for employers around the country that, that it is critical to foster transparency uh, and set in place mechanisms in the workplace so that when people raise concerns, they are heard, the concerns are investigated and um, steps are taken uh, because uh, that creates morale, positive morale. And the, and the converse is absolutely true. Um, if, if people do not have channels by which to report if employers do not have investigation protocols in place so they know how to investigate, who will investigate, what will be done, do it in a timely fashion, do not allow retaliation, um, and lastly, training. Um, so those are the three legs of the stool, the reporting mechanisms, uh, the investigation protocols, and training. Uh, I think now more than ever, 
uh, is a time to invest in compliance and not to put your head in the sand um, and just, you know, lay low with a, a, a straw in the weeds. Uh, there is so much happening right now uh, that uh, it is it is absolutely my advice that employers should uh, invest the resources in compliance and focus at, as I said, on 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 those three areas at a minimum, um, because it's not only good pra- best practices to create a better company to begin with, but in this period of, of fomenting unrest and 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 huge liability risk. Uh, including reputational uh, ex- uh, risk of, of exposure of reputation to the company and attendant stock price getting hit. Um, it's just absolutely common sense right now that there should be an increase in uh, focus uh, on compliance. And as I said, the best offense is a strong defense. So, Greg, are there any uh, whistleblower awards or rather perhaps court cases that have gotten your attention in 2021? Well, let's talk about the the latter, the court cases, I mean, there's certainly awards that we can talk about uh, as well. Um, but um, yes, um, just by way of example, and, and this, the, the, the reason this is particularly significant, Tom, is it, it reflects a trend that is, that, is, that is challenging for employers, particularly those that operate in many states, because the, the law is very frequently um, uh, divided. The courts are split on certain hot topics around the country. So it's really critical that before any employer takes action in certain circumstances that they consult with counsel. There was a case out of the Sixth Circuit on April 1st of 2021 called Felton versus Beaumont Hospital. And this was a case that arose under the False Claims Act. Uh, which is a federal statute that prohibits retaliation. Um, and, and the significance of this case, Tom, is uh, it, the Sixth Circuit held or concluded in this case that, in, that a former employee can bring a claim for retaliation based on actions that the employer took against this individual after they left the workforce. So what happened here was a whistleblower was in the workforce, raised concerns, ultimately left, and then someone called for a reference. And the employer gave, I think, a, a fairly negative reference of this individual. They sued. The employer said, for what? I mean, you know, whistle, retaliation is only protected for things that happen to you in the workforce. And the Sixth Circuit said, no, not so fast. Uh, we're going to cast a wider net. We're going to provide broader protection, and if actions happen even after employment ends, uh, that will be cognizable. Contrast that with the only court of appeals, the Tenth Circuit, who had addressed the same issue under the same statute and had held no, there is no relief for a former employee. So the law is both evolving, the courts are split. Uh, and as, as evidenced by this recent Sixth Circuit case, the net of liability risk is expanding, which is consistent with what I said about regulatory expansion of risk and legislative expansion of risk. Greg, 2002 was the year of the whistleblower, at least Time Magazine called it the year of the whistleblower, with Sharon Watkins of Enron, Cynthia Cooper of WorldCom, and Colleen Raleigh of uh, the FBI. 
could 2021 be in running for such a designation? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I've already touched on some of the drivers uh, that, that, are, that are causing this firestorm to really ignite right now. The administration, the regulatory expansion, the legislative expansion, even the judicial expansion uh, of rights and remedies. But I'd add another one, Tom, which is the, the global expansion uh, of, of, of whistleblower protection and, you know, um, uh, whistle, whistleblower um, rights and remedies. Uh, just this, this year, at the, the, the EU um, is going to put into final effect uh, a directive that uh, was announced, uh, I think it was 2019, but it, it, it becomes fully effective by the end of this year. It requires you know, all companies in the EU uh, to, to take certain steps, take certain actions in order to uh, uh, create internal controls to protect people who report in good faith and create remedies for those who are retaliated against. Um, you're starting to see countries ar ar around the world really, you know, embrace um, uh, whistleblower protections, oftentimes modeled on what the U.S. has done, uh, not only in, in, in its anti-retaliation laws, uh, but even as in the case of Canada, um, you know, in creating and, and Australia, um, creating these new bounty mechanisms that, you know, not only... Um, not only provide that shield uh, for the whistleblower in the form of a remedy if they're retaliated against, but actually now create a sword in the, in, in the shape of this bounty where they can actually take and collect a piece of the pie uh, when there's a massive settlement with the government. So I, I think this is definitely um, you know, on track to be a uh, 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 year of the whistleblower 2.0. Um, and we'll, we'll, we've got the seeds in place for that happening, and they're already sprouting in a big way right now. Greg, you've mentioned several times the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission and perhaps uh, their greater aggressiveness in uh, accepting whistleblower information and paying out whistleblower bounties. Uh, we had a case this week uh, that came down. I was wondering if you could just give us some general thoughts about uh, how this demonstrates really how the SEC has used their whistleblower program. Yeah, so uh, the case that you're referring to was a, a, a whistleblower award uh, that went to an individual uh, in the amount of $28 million. Uh, I'll say that again, $28 million uh, awarded to uh, a single individual um, for raising concerns. Uh, these concerns were around bribery and corruption under the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Uh, FCPA. Uh, the SEC uh, has, has obviously historically uh, been, been focused pretty squarely on FCPA uh, violations. It, it was a very hot topic in the Obama administration. Um, it, it will, I believe, you know, continue to be one, but this award signals, you know, uh, very strongly uh, that once again, we alluded to the galvanization of the plaintiff's bar uh, and we and I alluded in the in the last question you asked me to the global nature of this stuff. Um, you know, th th this award signals that the SEC's antenna are are surely again up for 
you know, alleged uh, violations of a statute like that, which often take place in in, in foreign countries. Um, you know, it just so happens there's been a you know a real hotbed of of this kind of alleged bribery under the FCPA in in countries in Asia. Um, so it's it's very significant. And and in addition, Tom, you know, this is just another example, uh, and and it seems like every week uh, as I track this stuff. I'm, I'm seeing example after example of the SEC as an agency that is no longer in adolescence, but is in full adulthood. I mean, Dodd-Frank was only passed in 2011. The SEC sort of got up and running somewhat slowly. Um, and there was a trickle of awards in 2014, 15. The trickle turned into a stream in 2016, 17. The stream turned into a river in 18, 19. And the floodgates opened in 2020. I mean, there were, um, I don't know the actual exact numbers uh, right in front of me, but the, the, the amount of awards in 2020 and into 2021 um, alone are, 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 you know, dwarf. Uh, all of the other awards combined in the first, you know, um, eight years of the program, the amount of tips continue to be skyrocketing. Um, and, um, you know, what this, this, this year alone, um, I believe it was in, in March, there was a, a, a an award, uh, of 50, five zero million dollars that went to a single individual. So, you know, it is becoming, I don't want to say commonplace, but certainly not out of the ordinary for the SEC under this whistleblower program uh, to, to award tens of millions of dollars like they did this week to one individual. And that is un un unequivocally going to continue to kind of, you know, fuel the fires of, 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 of more activity in this area. Greg, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on any of the topics you've touched upon in this podcast or perhaps get in touch with you, what would be the best way to do so? You can reach me at my uh, work email, which is gkeating, K-E-A-T-I-N-G, at ebglaw.com. And um, I'm always happy to field questions or help in any way I can. Greg, this has been uh, just a great podcast, and uh, as this area continues to evolve, I hope I might be able to call upon you in the future to uh, uh, take us uh, where we might be at that time. It's always a pleasure, Tom. I'd be delighted to help or to talk at any point in, in the future. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report, a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. We have a great new show on the Compliance Podcast Network called Mo Forecast, which is a podcast of the law firm of Morrison & Forrester, hosted by James Kukios. Check that out on the Compliance Podcast Network. Also, we have a new podcast, Survive and Thrive, where with my co-host, Courtney Nordrum, we take a look at compliance disasters, some of the lessons learned and red flags missed, plus what you can do to avoid them going forward. I know you'll enjoy this great new series, Survive and Thrive, which posts every other Tuesday on the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to visiting with you again next week.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.